Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and, like, so simple? And what else was it going to—like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Death was not the end for poor Lucy Westernra. A character in Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula, she fell victim to the book's aristocratic villain. While stealing her blood night after night, Count Dracula of Transylvania slowly drained the life out of Lucy. But that was only the beginning for the young woman's killer also transformed her into an undead vampire like himself. A brief reign of terror ensued at the graveyard. Then Lucy's living fiancé, Arthur, and his companions, including the vampire-savvy Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, found her awake near her tomb. She was finally destroyed for good after trying to lure Arthur into a lover's embrace. Had Arthur accepted her kiss, Dr. Van Helsing explained in his broken English, the morning suitor would have, quote, become Nosferatu, as they call it in Eastern Europe. The Nosferatu do not die like the bee when he sting once. He is only stronger, and being stronger, have yet more power to work evil. In the novel Dracula, Stoker treats Nosferatu as a synonym for vampire. 
when countless horror writers took his lead using the two terms interchangeably over the next hundred plus years, including Treehouse of Terror 4, the 1993 episode of The Simpsons. Like Van Helsing, Stoker seems to have believed that Nosferatu was an authentic word of Eastern European origin. But the evidence tells another story. Nosferatu is probably a mistranslation of a Romanian or Greek term that scholars have yet to pin down. Whatever its origins were, horror media gave Nosferatu a new meaning, and it became fodder for some of the scariest vampire stories ever to rise from the shadows. 19th century travel writer Emily Girard was talking vampires well before Dracula went to print. Born in Scotland in 1849, she emerged as a novelist and literary critic, but history mostly remembers her nonfiction works on European folklore. Gerard's 1885 essay, Transylvanian Superstitions, contains the following passage. More decidedly evil, however, is the vampire, or Nosferatu, in whom every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. The problem is, Nosferatu wasn't a real word, not in Romanian and not in any known Eastern European language or dialect. Gerard might have bungled the Romanian word nesuferit, which means unbearable. It's also possible that she misinterpreted and misspelled necuratul, a Romanian term for devil. Or maybe Gerard was thinking of the Greek word nesurophos, defined as a plague carrier. A 19th century travel piece, Torturing Spirits in Romanian Popular Belief, makes a similar mistake. The text mentions the nosferat, whom the author calls the most dangerous torturing spirit of Romanian folklore— but there's no proof that he was ever exposed to this concept out in the field. The author may have borrowed the word Nosferat from Gerard's writings. Bram Stoker seemingly did. Most horror historians credit Gerard's essay and her 1888 book, The Land Beyond the Forest, Facts, Figures, and Fancies from Transylvania, with introducing Stoker to the term Nosferatu. But the word only makes two appearances in the Dracula novel— and it didn't really go mainstream until one of Germany's strangest motion picture companies came along, Prana Film. This young German-based studio was drawn to all things occult and supernatural. Early in the 1920s, Prana resolved to put Dracula on the silver screen. What followed was a true classic of the horror genre and a legal disaster. We spoke via email with Jonathan Bailey, a horror fan who's written about the surprisingly long history of copyright issues in monster cinema on his website, Plagiarism Today. He said, Prana Film wanted to do an expressionistic retelling of the story of Dracula. That was very much the intent from day one. However, the estate of Bram Stoker, meaning his widow, Florence Stoker, didn't want to sell them the rights. Rather than abandon the idea, they changed the name and a few other elements to make it an original work. Calling most of the revisions that Prana Film made superficial would be generous. The vampire in Prana's script is still an aristocrat with a spooky castle who travels across the sea and raises hell in a new city. But here he goes by Count Orlock rather than Count Dracula. To cover its tracks further, Prana Film discarded the book's title— their chosen replacement, Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, known frequently today just as Nosferatu. Germany had already signed into an international agreement protecting the copyright of literary and artistic works. And by keeping Bram Stoker's basic plot more or less intact, the team at Prana was running afoul of the law, whether they realized it or not. Bailey explained, 
Film was a very new medium at the time, especially commercially. Whenever a new technology comes along for creativity, copyright is usually one of the last things to get serious thought. Even if filmmakers understood the basics of copyright law, they likely didn't grasp the nuances of it. After all, they're filmmakers, not lawyers. This is something that remains very true today. On March 4th of 1922, Prana Films Nosferatu premiered at the Berlin Zoological Gardens, of all places. Starring Max Schreck as the seriously creepy Count Orlock, it was acclaimed by audiences and most critics. Most critics, that is, except for Florence Stoker. Working on her behalf, a German lawyer hired by the British Incorporated Society of Authors sought compensation from Prana. That they had plagiarized Dracula was not in doubt. However, the studio had blown a large sum of money promoting Nosferatu and went bankrupt before the attorney came knocking. So, in accordance with Stoker's wishes, a German court ordered that every copy of the movie be destroyed. Try as she might, and she did try, Florence Stoker could not slay Nosferatu. An American print survived the destruction campaign. Prana Film's masterpiece now resides in the public domain. It's gotten countless DVD releases and is free to watch on platforms like YouTube. But Nosferatu may have actually helped the franchise that it ripped off. In 1924, Stoker's widow authorized a new stage play adaptation of Dracula. The leading man in the Broadway production was a young Hungarian named Bela Lugosi. He'd reprised the role for Universal Pictures' classic and legal 1931 Dracula movie. Though Count Dracula defined Bela Lugosi's career, he'd only play the character once more on film in the 1948 horror comedy Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. As for that haunting Prana flick, it got a high-profile remake in the form of Werner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979. Then came the 2013 novel Nosferatu, spelled N-O-S-4-A-2, by Joe Hill, which is the pen name of Stephen King's son, Joseph. A serialized TV adaptation ran on AMC for two seasons in 2019 and 2020. So there you have it. Nosferatu is a word of unknown origin that appeared in a groundbreaking horror novel, got implicated in some legal drama, changed movie history, and inspired a pun from a member of the King family. Emily Gerard had no idea what she'd started. Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 